Welcome to Not Your Mama's Relief Society. I'm Annie Joy, and me and Julie are on a mission to teach the tools to help us to build a kinder Zion. Join us for today's conversation because there's always room on the pew for you. All right, friends, welcome back to Not Your Mama's Relief Society. It's your favorite Relief Society. That was a good one. You did a good job. I like a new thing every time. (laughs) Every time. We don't know what's going to come out of my mouth until we hit record. So there it is. I'm glad it's Annie. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate that. Okay, friends. So as we know, I make friends in the most random of places. And this time is making a friend at the Life After Divorce Conference at BYU, which if you don't know that that exists, and if you know someone that's divorced, maybe direct them that way because it's actually pretty cool that they're providing this space for them. So I met Marnie at this conference because she had shared this beautiful story and I was so impressed with her. And I was like, hey, you don't know me, but would you be willing to come to my podcast? (laughs) And bless her heart. She's like, yes, I would love to. I'd love to share my story. So a little bit about her. So Marnie Bound is a life coach and speaker specializing in betrayal trauma, infidelity, self-worth, divorce, and dating. She is passionate about supporting, educating, and empowering individuals on how to survive betrayal trauma because of her own personal journey that led to divorce. Her goal is to instill hope and faith in healing. So Marnie, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We need you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who don't? I do. Yeah, I just... I feel like we have so many people that are trying to heal from divorce and the trauma that that creates. Right. There's a lot to it for sure. Yeah, there's a lot. So tell us a little bit more about you and about like what your family looks like right now. Like what is, what paint us a picture of life right now, more about you and like what you love to do, all the good things. Yeah. So I am actually remarried. I was divorced. It's been about five years now. And I had been married for 21 years when I found out that my husband at that time was living a double life and some addiction involved in that, that really ultimately led to our divorce. Uh, We had four boys together. And then I went through a healing journey that brought me to becoming a mentor, life coach, and then the speaking. And in that process, I Got to date in my 40s, which was super interesting. And I think we're going to talk a lot about that. But then I met uh, my husband, Mark, and we've been married for about a year and a half now. We blended nine children, um, one of them being a girl, but then we also gained two daughter-in-laws. So there's 13 of us total. And honestly, I love just spending time with our family. We love to travel. I love the outdoors, kind of connecting in that way, that's some self-care and going to lunch with girlfriends. I get to exercise, hike, yoga, play tennis, and read when I get a chance. But mostly I would say just spending time with my family is my most favorite for sure. I love that. That is amazing. Nine kids. Yes. Nine. Yeah. That's a good time. I'm sure you had to true blend. Yeah, a true blend. <laughs> true blend. <laughs> situation there. Of blending yes. so many kids. So how many do you have again? So I have four and he has five and in there is one girl. So that's eight boys and she's a trooper. She's, it's been amazing to have a girl around. I will say that that's been really fun. And our kids get along really well. They have a lot of the same interests and uh, it's, so it really is genuinely fun when we get together, even with the daughter-in-laws, 
uh, kind of the family dynamic and they're all really good sports and wanting to uh, help make this family work and moving forward. And so it's been a really positive experience. That's amazing. And how did the ages line up? Like, are they fairly close in ages or get big gaps in there? They are there almost exactly the same. So we have what would be twin 22, almost 23 year olds down to 13 year old twins. And so all of them share the same year, but aren't in the same school year. And then we have one extra of one of his boys that is in there too, but it's, yeah, they're really close in age. So when we travel and everybody's really tall, we kind of make a scene. We were just in Europe this summer and it was really hard to explain what was going on. They thought we were some sort of a tour group. We're like, nope, we're just a family. <laughs> they are looking at us and we kind of look alike too. So our kids have, you know, a lot of similarities and they're not really sure who belongs or how, what's going on, or even on a cruise, like we have this massive table and what's, what's going on here is what we get asked a lot. What help us understand the situation, especially when the ages are similar with the kids that are married with the spouses. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really fun though. And amazing that like yeah, it all it worked out the way that it needed to. And that, right. which is so beautiful. Cause there's a lot of horror stories about blending families, not going well and right. all kinds of awful things. And yeah, so I'm, I'm so happy that that is such a beautiful experience for your family. And that I would imagine that's also a safe place for your whole family to continue to heal and to grow because they have that like safe, beautiful space at home too. Yes, I would agree. And I know that it's a rarity. So we feel extra blessed often. It was actually the kids that helped make it so that we got married. We weren't intending to necessarily get married as soon as we were, because we just knew both kids had been through a lot and it was their efforts and wanting to help be together that we got married. So yeah. Aww. Oh, that's Yeah. I love that. It, that's oh a whole gosh. other story. <laughs> it's so good. It's but yeah, let's make a like a Mormon ad about that, you know? Like, <laughs> life after the, divorce. You know, people always say the Brady Bunch. We're like, we're way more than the Brady Bunch. We have we're I think we almost double them. So yeah. yeah. So move over Brady Bunch. This group is down. <laughs> so you so you started life coaching and stuff like that, but like can you tell us a little bit about the journey into that and like Obviously your divorce impacted that and stuff, but kind of tell us where you ended up being at this divorce conference and presenting. Right. So I think I mentioned a little bit about that. I had been married, you know, for 21 years to someone who was living a double life and that I didn't know. And there were snippets and glimpses and uh, assumptions, but never anything firm I had found uh, porn on the computer when we were within the first year of our marriage, but this is back in the early nineties, internet was new and he had a great, you know, didn't even really explain anything, but I would say kind of his story was just not saying much. And it was, I felt it was just a part of life. And even though at that time, I remember feeling like it cheated on and betrayed and all the things. So then really fast forwarding uh, to our 21st anniversary and he traveled a lot for work and I had pretty much put myself in a position where I was that frog in the boiling water. I just had accepted a lot of things, the finding his work phone, it was actually on Christmas Eve to Christmas morning. And that was really startling and devastating. It was so far from the person that I believed he was that I even believed that the 
satellite had hacked his phone. Like I didn't think it really could be true. Uh, the contents included conversations with multiple women and it just, uh, it, yeah, it was mind blowing, certainly traumatic. Uh, and from that moment, we kind of led into like me trying to confront him about it. It, it came out, but then he really didn't want to change. And so I started going to the spousal sport, like addiction recovery meetings, the SA lifeline there, I was able to actually run into uh, a friend of mine from high school. I was mortified that I saw her there until I realized that she was there for the same purpose, but she helped tap me into a bunch of different resources, certainly getting into therapy. And then I was already in it with another therapist, but I got into more betrayal trauma specific therapy and learned about what was happening, why I felt like my life was so shattered. It was this identity crisis of and that's what betrayal trauma is like everything that I had believed to be true now was in question. And I had a lot of PTSD symptoms attached to that. A lot of being like the hypervigilance and, and safety seeking and recognizing the emotional abuse in our marriage and his constant lying and consistently still lying. And then the recognition of me wanting to fight for our marriage, but then I pulled on a string that really went from three months to six months that just kept going back farther and farther as I was digging in financial documents. And, and again, him, that, that coupled with him not wanting to change. Uh, I knew that I needed to get divorced. Genuinely. It was, I felt like I was holding him over a cliff, preventing him from choosing the things he wanted. And I knew I had to turn him over to God and let God understand where he was coming from the life circumstances that led him to where he was, where he was at. And certainly being a mom of four kids, I knew I had to put my effort and energy into them. And I couldn't continue to live the way that I was living, knowing now what I knew. And so I, uh, our divorce happened really quick. There were some things that happened legally, financially that led to a really quick divorce, but I was still healing. And this we'll talk about a little bit into the dating aspect is that um, my discovery was in the end of December, you know, December 25th, he moved out on January 2nd, and then we were divorced in June. So it was really fast and really abrupt. And I struggled to understand who I was. So thankfully through therapy and betrayal trauma, I was able to get a better grounding of what was happening, validate my feelings, emotions, and to get self-care get self-help, you know, and just dive into that healing process. While I was in that, my therapist had recommended that I mentor a group of women that were in marriages with addicts that were in recovery, working hard. And so I did that for a little while. And then they created a group for me to be able to work with women who were divorced from addicts. And it was just really beautiful to watch the growth in people. And I know that I still am in a healing process and probably will be for my whole life. But I really like to envision as kind of this chain of links that we kind of are looking to the people in front of us as like, okay, if I can just get to where you are, because I'm five years out now. But I remember looking to people at one point thinking, okay, if I can just get where you are in five years, then it gives me hope kind of a thing. And so with that, I ended up deciding to get certified as a life coach and be able to help more people. And I, again, love the opportunity of helping people feel unstuck. As a life coach, I get to help people moving forward in their life, 
often they're coming to me because of experiencing some sort of trauma, betrayal trauma, and they're looking at their path in front of them and it feels like a dock and they feel like it's a dead end. And I get to help pull them out and say, nope, we're just going to go jump in that water. We don't know what it looks like and you don't know what your path will be. And this is all new, but there is hope and optimism and amazing things. And we're going to make mistakes along the way, but that's okay. We can do this and we can keep moving forward. And so that's really where I am able to be a life coach for men and women. And uh, it's been a really rewarding process for me. That's amazing. I love that. So let's talk about the dating because I mean, personally, I'm also dating. I mean, I'm 41. So technically we're in our forties, right? And I've been trying to navigate the dating world. So I can certainly empathize with anyone listening with the struggles of dating after divorce, because it is different than when you're dating as like a high schooler or a young adult, or even like pre-mission or just in your twenties at all. It's a whole different ballgame. So I would love to hear your insight on that. And even like with Julie, I mean, she's not experiencing that, but she's like secondhand experiencing it because I talked about it all the time, you know? And so (laughs) even for those of you who are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, I guarantee if you don't know someone divorced, you will. So I think this will also be good insight for those who just have people in their life that are experiencing this. So maybe even part of that could be speaking to how people could be supportive of those who are going through this process because- Julie handles it great. She's always like validating how I feel, making sure I understand my value, like whatever. But I know there's people out there who sometimes think like, I don't want to say when my single friend is like, this sucks and I hate it and whatever. And anyway, so yes, hit me with all your dating after divorce tips. Oh, there's so many, right? (laughs) Uh, More pitfalls than anything. But I actually really love Annie that you have Julie and that you have that support because being divorced, my circle, a social circle was married people. And so entering into this life, I had some friends or my kids, friends, parents who were divorced, but it just wasn't on my radar. And so your social circle really kind of goes in and I am a social person and trying to find ways to get integrated into networks of meeting other single people. And the only way that I knew how to do that at the time was dating apps. And Sometimes that's a great thing. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes we just need our girl team to be our wing girl when we go out or just to be social because we're maybe not in the situation uh, emotionally where we really want to be diving into a relationship, but we want to be social or because of the custody situation, we have more time available where we need to fill it with other times of being social or being where we meet other people if that makes sense. So I really am happy for you that you have that. And I love that you brought that up. So if there's any listeners who know of somebody who's divorced, that is potentially dating to be a great sounding board and listening ear that your circumstances are different than, like you said, when we were back in the day, uh, right. And out of high school and college and dating and the pool was really big. And most everybody felt like they were on the same page of the things that they were looking for. And now you're in a situation where everybody's coming. Your pool is smaller because either they are not married or haven't been, or they are also divorced or widowed. So they come with a lot of other things that are potentially difficult or traumatic in their lives that adds to what is. So certainly with me, when I talk to people about dating, I kind of have a formula for them. 
And one of the things, the very first is that there has to be attraction. So it's tricky because sometimes you have a pool of say a hundred people, but even within that, maybe five of them, you feel like you could actually, you really feel like you're attracted to. And some people might consider and say, well, that sounds really shallow, but we all know that that is real. Like you really genuinely, it's either there or it's not like you can be texting someone, meet them in person, eh, you know, or vice versa. You meet them and it's like, wow, we really have this great attraction and connection. So for me, the number one thing is, is that, are you attracted to this person? That should weed out a bunch of people right away. Then the second thing is what are your buckets and how does this person match that? And I will talk more about what your buckets are, but a lot of the buckets is kind of the things that make up who you are. And then it's in that time of a year, at least to be able to date each other and to see how you interact with children and with traveling and life experiences, certainly dating again, you can see how Mark has five kids and I have four kids and as much as we would want to be together, if our kids, if it doesn't work, then sometimes, and I have seen this where people, their relationship genuinely ends because it doesn't work and that's okay. I mean, it's hard and it, and it hurts, but definitely we're dealing with more layers of things going. So how do your lives work together and the things that are important to you and what you love? And then that's when you get to have the opportunity to be prayerful about it. This is the person that I'm supposed to be getting married to. How could we possibly make it work in blending and being able to combine our lives together? So I would say that's the biggest advice that I would start with kind of the formula of dating again after being divorced. Yeah, for sure. I love that because you're right. There are so many other factors I jokingly say this, but like Mormon mid-singles are a unique group of humans. Like it is just, it's a very textured, layered mm. group of people, right? Because you do have layers of trauma and hurt and also experience and wisdom. Like, mm. so I think textured is a very good word because there is so much going on there for good or for bad, right? Like, because you have people who also like understand what it's like to be a parent some right. of them, and some of them understand what it's like to navigate a marriage and so that experience is also attractive too right right? like I often said I probably need to marry a dad like I need to marry someone who understands the sacrifices of parenthood and can understand and be a partner in that way not that that like has to be that way but there is a lot there that's also more attractive to me than like a 20 year old who has no experience and no life I mean not even no experience I shouldn't say no experience different experience yeah different different experience yeah. And they're just, they, that's how much they've learned in the 20 years of life. If you get 40 plus years, you just have 20 more years on this earth that you've had a chance to right. experience something. So I think there's a lot of beauty to more textured and experienced humans, but with that does come a lot of layers. You have to kind of tricky, it's tricky to navigate and yeah, hundred percent. Right. So, and I love uh, what you're saying about like figuring out who you are though, too, because that was one thing. So I've been divorced twice. And the first time I got divorced, because I'm like aggressively friendly and I just will find friends anywhere. And I just, I could go party any day of the week. And so I did, I did not sit in the suck. I did not sit in the sad. I did not really process like how yucky it was. I was like, oh yeah, that sucks. I got divorced. And I just partied. And I, every single night I had someone that would invite me to something, or I could go to the gym or I, I had so many things I could do. 
I never sat in it. I never really, I mean, I did go to therapy. So I thought that was good enough. But right. I realized I never got to like really sit alone and say, hey, how are you feeling, Annie? Like, what does this mean for you? And so then when I got divorced again, I had my kids. There was many nights I had to be at home because they're in bed and I can't leave. So right. I was pushed into being alone to really start to understand that building that identity again was huge. Because like, you know what? I'm not doing this for the third time. No, right. thank you. So I have spent a lot of time working on being okay, being alone. Right. And like and figuring out who I am. Which is hard because it's also potentially a really lonely space. And that feels really uncomfortable. Like there's a study that talks about how people would rather be in terribly abusive situations than the experience of being alone or the loneliness. And so again, that's yearning for even what was because the complacency of it more than the change or the alone or the unknown moving forward. Right. But if we can really honor and get the foundation of our self awareness and self-worth and identity of who we are, it really does help us in our dating. And because we attract so much what we are. And I know for me coming from my divorce, my bar was so low and I was so deprived in so many areas uh, of even just being a priority that the fact that I remember someone being willing to drive from you know, 45 minutes away to meet me for lunch felt like this huge sacrifice, you know, and then talking to someone like, no, if for a first date that that should be, you know, or they should come to you and not, and not knowing what's just this, these new rules and everybody has a different standard. And, but I just felt overwhelmed with this, this gratitude for what was. And so I really feel like the part of setting up the the base of who we are is understanding the buckets. And I kind of talked about that in, in how we match with other people in dating. And I feel like a lot of the buckets that we are made up of as our spiritual buckets, the financial bucket, that's kind of how do you spend money? How do you save money? Uh, There's the emotional buckets of how do you handle stress management or fears or how much sleep do you require? There's the intellectual part, you know, is it, what do they think socially or growth mindset, or even politically, those have a big impact on things. Uh, Also our social buckets, are you a homebody? Are you like Annie? Are you like, I just got to go out and play. And does that align with how you want to be? Then the physical bucket too, you know, what do you, what's your views on exercise or being outdoors or like you a massive runner, or do you hate it? And you just want to do um, like more gym time or do you like classes or do you not at all? Or is it getting outdoors? And then of course the environmental is like the surroundings, like where do you live? Where did you grow up? How were you raised? What's does, where's your work? Like what's the location? And all those things make up a lot of the place of who we are. And yet we kind of go in just saying, well, I just want, you know, these five things in a person, (laughs) but we don't really have an idea of what that really looks like, you know? And, but if we really can get to the root of who we are, and a lot of that comes from experience. So even getting out and being social or journaling, um, looking within ourselves to say, I don't know, what do I think about that? Or what do I want to attract? And I feel like people will say that someone's being picky if they're being patient, 
But certainly if you're living in a certain way, then I feel like it's okay to also have a certain, I say patience because I don't want to say expectation or that you deserve, but that you are just willing to be patient in someone who is a better match for you. And I feel like in the process of dating, that's exactly what we're doing as we're gathering information, right? We're just trying to find out about this person and, and what they like. And sometimes we naturally can, uh, try to be what other people are. And I think that that's where we have to be careful because there's people who specifically are love bombers or they try to mirror what we are and be exactly what we are. So then that way we choose them and it ends up not being a great thing. But it's okay to discover in people in dating, there was things that I learned that even though the relationship didn't work, or maybe we only went out a couple of times that I learned something or discovered something that I enjoyed doing that I kind of, that I wanted to add to my bucket that I would have never, never otherwise learned without having gone out, you know, and spent time with other people. Cause certainly there's work that we can do personally, especially with trauma. I can work on myself and be a super rock star when it comes to, you know, boundaries and, and self-worth and my own identity there personally, or was a mother. But then when you're in a relationship, there's things that come up that are potentially triggering. There's things like, I just remember a guy having a work phone and a, his regular phone. And to me, that was almost a deal breaker. I just, it's not out of his control. It's what his work wants, but because of my experience, it just makes me wall up. And so the things that you experience when you're in a relationship, that's different than personal it does take time and effort and dating does take time, effort, and for guys money too. So I'm wondering with the way that you're talking about, like building identity, there definitely needs to be a process then that you're looking at these buckets before you're even building what, what you expect somebody else to match that, right? Like really taking time to be more <laughs> reflective of life what you really want. Cause the thing is, this too, is the only time you've probably ever built that list before was before you were married the first time. And I guarantee that oh, the person sure. you are now has way different yeah. than like, he's six two, he has green eyes. He's the priesthood <laughs> leader. He's a return missionary, right? Like <laughs> those things you've done. And I also think you have to do kind of like what Annie talked about, where you were saying that as someone that's in mid singles or whatever, you have layers and growth and experience. And I think part of like our culture, we want to like feel like, oh, well, now I'm divorced. And we look at it as baggage. But I think it's like, as people that have been divorced, if you can look at some of the experience you gained as like powerhouse tools to know what you want moving forward and also coming with this incredible experience, like how much you go, okay, now I really can understand and see where I failed, where they failed, or where I succeeded exquisitely or where like, where I could have done better, maybe failed is the wrong word, right? Especially if like, it's a situation like yours, Marnie, where there's complete betrayal. It's like, you're doing your very best. But I think you can say, like you said, I was not seeing some red flags and like, okay, well now I need to know what I'm more comfortable with. Where do I feel more prepared like this? So I think as you're talking about that, maybe it's just important for people to make sure that like, you really know what your buckets are, right? And you know what those, and you may, they may be completely different than you thought. Exercise may become something that you hated before, but now it's your absolute lifeline, right? right? Like getting out and being able to do that is like, I have to be able to do that. Right. 
And I well, think too, we were all when, when younger when I was dating, I always felt like I was like hoping to be like picked. I feel <laughs> like you get a second chance at this and getting to find a good match and a good partner right. is like kind of an exciting prospect. I don't know. <laughs> it feels exciting and then you're in it and then it's <laughs> Yeah. Right. I will say that you are exactly right. That I love that one of the things that came out of divorce for me was the opportunity to really look inside myself. And with my therapist, I built up kind of like that, um, marble, like she had like this force field and as if like bullets were flying at me and they were all the things that my ex wanted to tell me about myself. And I got to see him in slow motion and some of them, I got to be like, nope, I don't, I don't have to take that. But other ones I got to say, you know what? I really would want to do that better in a marriage, you know, like communication or not make allowances that I can't ask him what he does for work. Like that to me now seems ridiculous, but now I know where I didn't have that before. And I love what you're even talking that it helps bring in the whole process of the flags because I didn't have red flags going into dating before. And kind of like you said, it was, you know, just being picked and are we compatible? And how does that work? Where now really, I feel like in dating that helping people understand that you will walk down a hallway of doors and there are people that are willing to be accessible or available for you to date, but they aren't the right one for you. So it really is having the courage and the strength to not date someone just because they make it easy or they're available, but that you get to have a say. And I do feel like when we have a better understanding of who we are and what we genuinely like and what we're kind of looking for, then we do attract that in other people too, because we're looking, but it seems like when people are dating and then they want to build their buckets, they start building them around the person they're dating, you know? Yeah. And so it's really important to do it beforehand so then you more stay true and genuine to the person that you're really believing you are. Not that we can't continue to have growth as we meet people, like I'd mentioned, but I know that another piece to building the buckets, the next space that I work with people is helping them identify what are your red flags, yellow flags, and green flags. Often the green flags are already the things that we talked about, the buckets, right? I And even things that are maybe specifically more important, like for me, it was that I needed to have a priesthood holder that was in my home. I already knew what it was like to not. And so for me, that was a really important piece. I also know that a calling to me doesn't mean anything that my ex was the executive secretary. So that's where the time of spending time with someone and how does spiritual conversation come up? And when I go to his house, does it look like come follow me is displayed out or do we genuinely just have conversation naturally and what does that look like and how does he live the gospel and how does he implement that with his family and and you come with experience right so in a way i'm now in my 40s dating and and the person that i have been for a really long time is super evident with the person and not that people haven't made mistakes and we can you know fix that and repent and make changes um i'm certainly not perfect but i look at the how has that person been living the gospel potentially for a long time? And, and as you get to know their family and you get to know their friends and 
people that they work with. It's just more reinforcements, especially for someone like me that had a really hard time trusting anyone or anything, including myself, that those things were really important. But red flags and yellow flags really, and green flags are different for everyone. Everyone will be like, give me a list. Like, what's your list? Well, my list is totally different than somebody else potentially. For me, like I knew I could never be with someone who had ever cheated on, even if it was their girlfriend or their spouse. That just to me was my deal breaker. Didn't mean that people couldn't recover from that or they were could be an apostle, like all the things. It wasn't even a church related. It was just for me personally, the the mental place that someone had to go. And that was just mine. That was just mine. I've met great people who that's their story, but they just weren't mine to date. But there's also people who had a lot of amazing things about them that then in turn, I'd be like, you're, I would almost call them like my, you're the resume guy. Like you have everything you, you would, I want to find somebody for you, but then maybe just the attraction wasn't there. So again, it's having the courage to walk away from something that's just not right. Like even though we put a lot of time into it, dating can be exhausting. And so sometimes the thought of starting over just feels overwhelming. And so we start and continue to give time to people that shouldn't get it because it's more convenient and comfortable than right. One thing I keep thinking about as you're talking to is like, as you're looking for like red, yellow, and green flags, I think like that if you can try and find a few more greens, you might be coming from a little bit less of your trauma head. Cause like a lot of your trauma is going to influence a lot of your red flags, which is great, but also you will have growth. Like you'll have growth in some of those, you might be able to kind of go, Oh, now it's more of a yellow. I could see that where I, I'm more healed. I feel better. And also I think just being like, no, 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 no to anything that was my ex is like a big, hard, no. And, and you might miss some little things. I'm thinking of like a close friend of mine that was divorced and her husband had had a problem with pornography. And so her dating profile became like, if you have an active porn problem, I don't want anything to do with you. And I remember saying to her, I said, I totally understand where you're coming from, you know, because that trauma is so real and so palpable at that moment. I said, but you have to remember, if you have a really good guy, a really good guy who's had any problem with pornography, they may feel like it's an active problem, even though they are actively repenting and actively not viewing, right? But if they actually see it as actively, that means they're a more healthy person, Mm -hmm. right? Versus someone else who's like, well, it's not really that big of a problem. It's no big deal, whatever. So that kind of a guy is like, not even actively dealing with said porn problem, right? Versus a good guy might view it and be like, well, I am actively looking, you know, I do have an active porn problem because I, I'm in recovery and I have to always make sure I'm maintaining and doing the things I need to do. So just being open-minded till your trauma will grow and change. I think also like, where are your greens? Look for more greens, but be aware, very clearly aware of your reds, Right. right? Tell me right. too, though, both of you, just for fun sakes, what's your number one red flag? <laughs> Mine really was the cheating thing. I, I yeah, just felt sure. like for me, I couldn't. I And I I feel like the porn often, and especially even for clients, is a yellow flag because it's just prominent. It's just having the yeah. right conversations with people because the real 
realistic idea that someone has not seen, it's just pornography is just not real. So how do we have the right conversations? And instead I try to help walking them through asking the right questions. And then again, like you said, our trauma is always there. So they're there to protect us. And I think sometimes we fear our trauma or we're impatient with it, but it really is there to protect us. And I still have little protectors that I just am seeking consistency in behavior. And sometimes I don't have all the answers. And so I just have to kind of shelf it and until I get more information and that's healthy and that's okay. But again, that's why we take time in dating to ask those questions. But I would say for me, ultimately that that was my number one. What about you, Annie? My number one red flag is, yeah. uh, I'm just laughing because me and Julia have talked about this so much. Like she already knows. She, <laughs> she knows. She knows. But for everyone else, I don't know. Like, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. Everyone else. It's not, it's not funny. It's just only funny that me and Julia have talked about it so many times. Okay. <laughs> um, anger for sure. Like if they cannot control their temper, he's from the Middle East. Uh, right. Even being guys, like I had just heard that from other people who know them better. And I'm like, oh, have a nice life. And yeah. that one for me is not one. I have grown a lot. I've healed a lot. I have done so many things. That is something that I feel like because of my childhood wounds, that is always going to be something that I would probably really struggle with. And so my nervous system needs someone who can handle their feelings a little better. And my, most of my exes, I've had many abusive relationships and most of them have all been very fun and charismatic, but also highly emotional and highly mean. And so I'm working through like, can I find someone who has, has the charisma and like, who has the like outgoing personality so that they can match my energy, but also as someone who's in control of their temper and doesn't scream at people. So right. that's what <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That, that is, like I said, everybody has their different flags. Like you can get together even with a group of singles and talk about what they are. And sometimes I'd say, Ooh, that's a good one. I, I hadn't thought about that or you know, but it's just because of our life experiences that they certainly are apparent for a reason, but I love that they also can change like Julie talked about too. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that I could probably handle it better now than I did before, but I, I just don't ever want to be in a relationship again where I get yelled at. Right. Yeah. My mom's a yeller and I'm a recovered yeller. Oh, I'm in recovery. I should say I'm still working on it, but like I, would love to have someone who can support me in the being calm and not letting anger take the reins. I'm going to yeah. get angry. Everyone gets angry. And so I, I've worked better at like when my kids are angry at like calming my nervous system being like, okay, they're angry right now. I'm here for them. But like being angry is not the same thing as like taking your anger out on someone. So that's a hard pass. Um, my green flag though, my number one green flag is if you're playful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because I'm a very playful human being, as my children can attest to. So if you can't match that energy, you're going to get sick of me in like five minutes. So probably <laughs> another kind of red flag, like you're out. If you can't handle, then you're out. <laughs> right. Like, listen, if you if you can be with this and have a good time. See, and one of my exes, I try to always say one of my exes, so I'm never specifying which one. So I, sure. that's one thing that Julie and I have talked about is like, I want to always be careful to like, protect their identity, but also speak my truth. But I have right. had exes where um, they acted like they loved that about me. And then as time went on, they were like so annoyed that I'm like dancing in the grocery aisle, you right. know, or that I'm singing along with every song on the radio. Like they get so annoyed. I'm like, 
I wasn't hiding that from you. Like, this is not a secret. So if you now are annoyed with that, that's a you problem. Right. Because this wasn't a secret. Well, and then certainly part of the aspect, again, of spending time with people gathering information that is way different than when we were doing it the first time with all the social media that was new to me. Uh, but it is some ways feels more hurtful or painful than going through the process of divorce. And again, because the feelings of attachment of like failure, or maybe my divorce was validated, or maybe the things that he was saying are true, or that, you know, all those feelings start to surface too. And, and so when we continue to really work on ourselves and we understand our buckets, then it is checking ourselves to align. Is this really adding up and, and having the courage to genuinely walk away when it's not even anything bad. It's just not right. It's just, you kind of hit that standstill because typically, and honey, you can relate to this, the three to six months is usually when the kind of crazy starts to come out, right? Like they can be on really good behavior uh, until a certain time. And then that's when things come out or the importance of meeting their kids, importance of meeting their families and their friends. Do they have friends? Do they have really strained relationships with people? Those are things that are really informational that help put in kind of our toolkit of like more about this person as we're learning who they are, right? Yes, totally. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of, like we've already stated, like having a good support group around you. And it may be friends for divorce. I have, I have wonderful friends who are divorced. Julie's not, but it's, they don't have to be divorced to be your support, right? But to like know that you've got people in your corner to help you really assess this is who you are. Da, da, da. It's like, but if you choose yourself first, then you can look at something and say, is this going to add like joy and value to my life? Even as I've gone through some different dating experiences. And again, I'm like, hey, Julie, and I'll talk to her about all the things. And there have been people in my life that I'm like, wow, there's some good things about this person, but it's not right. Right. And so there is a lot of growth for me in saying, okay, it's not right. Therefore, it's not happening. And right. to step away from that and say, okay, I'm not judging that person. I'm just creating space for a person who's going to be a better match for me because I know it's hard. And right. that's why I end up in most of my relationships because I was coming from, oh, yes, I got picked. Like I got the golden ticket and now I got picked. And so therefore now I'm valuable. And it's like, nope. As I've done the work of like, no, I'm awesome on my own. And I'm right. going to be okay on my own and face the lonely because it is, it's, it's painful to face right. the lonely, but when you can get to a healthy relationship with being alone, then, then you can make an informed choice about a person who's going to add to your life instead of, there's a book, um, it's called the missing piece in the big O. Hmm. You heard of that? No, I haven't, but I'm going to. It's Shell Silverstein. So it's like kind of like a kid's book. Oh. I but it basically shows this little triangle piece and it's like trying to find his miss he's the missing piece and he wants to find the missing piece and so he's like you know hanging out and asking people come, other shapes coming by like am i your missing piece and do i fit in your missing piece and then it's not working it's not working and then the circle rolls on by and he's like hey am i your missing piece and the circle's like no i don't have any missing pieces but you can roll next to me if you want and so this little triangle, like flip, flop, flip, like just starts to round its edges and then they roll on side by side together. And it's such a cool little way to show, like, I'm not looking for someone to pick me. 
Right. I'm not looking for someone to like complete me. I, and I love what you said. I'm being patient for someone that will fill my life up and like, right. and I shouldn't say fill either. That's not a good word. No, but it really is this enhancement. It's kind of this yes, enhancement. Like, better word. I didn't need anybody. Like I had lived like a single mom married for quite some time. And so when the divorce happened, everything I was, I was, I got this, like, I don't need anybody. I, and that was a real big turnoff for guys. Like I even had them say, you know, that's not attractive to be so independent that people really want to come in and kind of help you. But for me, I really felt like, and this is where Mark came in is he was living in a very similar way in his marriage for a time, like a single dad and then got divorced. And what we found is that we enhanced each other. And that's when it was the click, you know, it was like, I don't really need you. You don't really need me, but there are some amazing things that we do together as a team and a partnership that enhances my life that helps make it better. And I love that you have Julie and other people to have that outside perspective, because when you're so new into the dating world, I had no idea, like, what is the right timing to introduce your kids when and how and everybody's different what what does exclusivity mean like what does a kiss mean to you what does dating you know and you kind of feel like a reckless teenager a little bit because you don't really know what it is and and then anyone that's going out with you well is happy to tell you what they think you know well I think our kids should meet right now and I think we should get married in three months and I think you know I think you love me I know you love me because the way you do. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if I know what love is. And so often we're looking outward to people that we shouldn't necessarily trust. And so it is so important to have our safe people that we can turn to and say, Hey, I don't feel comfortable about introducing my kids. And he's really pushing this. What do you think? And just giving ourselves permission that there is no rule. Like, yes, that is a part of the process of dating, but the timing of what that looks like, I had a girlfriend who she had anybody that came to the door, meet her kids. Cause she didn't want it to be a big deal. And then I know for me, I was way more personable about it and making it more of a big deal of who my kids did interact with and not right or wrong, just different. But I certainly know that there are times that I felt pushed into having my kids meet someone or the process of our family or kids integrating before I did. And I wish I would have listened to that more. And I love that with Mark, we both were talking about how we wanted to wait a really long time because of the past relationships we'd been in, but then it felt way more natural to want to, and it felt more uh, uncomfortable or different because that had not been what had been in the past. And so when you kind of have the, the comparison to say, okay, now I know what it feels like that I want to versus feeling pushed into it. So it really is listening to this inner intuition. If you feel uncomfortable or something doesn't feel right, it's okay to have someone be patient. If someone's being too pushy, in my opinion, that is a red flag. Like that, the potential controlling or pushing your timeline or, you know, just allowing you the space and things that you need in, in your timing too. And that's where it gets really manipulative and potentially abusive when they're uh, trying to use the relationship as leverage of like, if we can't do this, then, you know, or what are we, and if we're not, and if we're not consistently moving forward in a fast enough pace, then, you know, or breaking up consistently to try to make it so that you feel this pressure to move forward when you just don't feel right. And sometimes it's stepping back and talking to a friend like Julie and saying, Julie, 
what is going on? Help me. And for her to say, Hey, you got to jump out. Like, I know that he's this and this and this, and it all seems great, but that if you don't feel right and they can't respect that, then you, that may not be the right thing. Cause if it's, if it's doesn't feel right. And this was what they're pushing. Can you imagine the things to come in a potential relationship, marriage, uh, future together? Totally. And the thing is too, is that maybe they're not abusive. Maybe they're not controlling, but if they're exhibiting behaviors, you're not comfortable with. And if you're not saying no to it now, then it's only mm-hmm. going to exacerbate from there. So if you are, Hey, that's I'm not comfortable point. with that. And that's not a test like in a bad way, but like, that's your indication if they are willing to listen to you or not. If you say, Hey, right. I don't like this. And they're pushing it anyway. And you say, Hey, I'm not feeling heard right now. And they're still just not listening. And like you said, yeah, you're saving yourself a world of heartache if they're not willing, because maybe they're willing to, rec- like, they hadn't had that pointed out to them. They're like, right. oh, I right. didn't realize. And then, but because you were strong enough to say, or brave enough to say, hey, no, thank you. They're like, oh, I care about this person. Maybe this is an issue. And maybe they're willing to work through it. But you'd never find that out if you don't say something. And I remember right. the other thing I was going to say was that you have to trust your body. Your yes. body will tell you what's off. And that has been like this, especially this past year has been my biggest growth and learning for me is that my body will say no sometimes. And I don't even have to figure it out just yet. It's a no. I can work it out later. I could talk to my coach. I could talk to friends. I could journal about it and like figure out why it was a no, but that my body absolutely knows what to do for me. And if there is something off in there, like I have to listen to my intuition. It is not that wrong. In fact, one of my exes also told me that, you know, your intuition was always like spot on. I didn't want you to know that because mm-hmm. you always caught me in my lies. But, and I didn't like you knowing somehow, like without me even saying anything, you just knew you picked up on stuff. Your intuition's spot on. Like, well, thanks for telling me that after our relationship is over, <laughs> you know, but um, bless him. But the point is that our, I think everybody's intuition is pretty spot on. I think that that's where the Holy Ghost speaks through our intuition. Right. So it's my body is saying, no, thank you. Honor that. Right. But that's, what's tricky is I look at my history and my body, my soul was spot on, on things. My intuition at time was right. But what I believed was what he was showing me too. Right. And because other people have agency. So that's a tricky part that I had to learn through retrusting myself and that it was okay to ask people questions and be wrong as I'm relearning to trust myself in things because at one point I was, but I doubted myself. And then I almost as if I've lost touch with that or the belief, you know, I got asked that a lot. How do you believe in God when you were married to someone for 21 years that was choosing something and you didn't know, like God didn't let you know. And it's not that there weren't things along the way, but I have had to work to forgive myself that I was just doing the best I could with the information that I had. And I was going to say, I was going to say too, Marnie, that's so hard, but like, I always say, you can't understand the crazy you aren't. Right. Like I would never go and like, look at pornography or cheat on my husband. So it doesn't translate or like stand to reason that he would be doing that because like, that's not a marriage. That's not what you do. I'm loyal. I have like maybe loyal to a fault or what, like that's who I am. So I can't understand somebody else's capability to do that when it's not something that's even rational. 
to me. Right. That's not a rational thing for someone to do. Plus these people in a situation when they want to do that, their sin and their desire to do those things is so strong that they are breaking your ability to communicate and to hear those things. Like, I think we're a little bit like, even like deer, we're like prey animals, like in some regards. Right. And we can jump and we know, and we feel it. And there's something in us that goes, that doesn't feel right. But if every single time you said that, it's like when we want to talk about hearing, feeling the spirit. And every time we say, the more you listen to it, the greater and stronger it will be, which is totally true. But if you're listening to it and you say something and the person who you are supposed to be connected with and that's supposed to love you is going, you're crazy. That's ridiculous. No, I didn't do that. Or I don't know what you mean. Then you go, oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And I think you're exactly right that like that is going to be part of your healing is to continually say yes to even those little feelings of like that felt weird. Right. Or I didn't like that and go, and your, your mind is probably going to go, you know, you're stupid. You're crazy. That's ridiculous. Cause that's what you've been told for the last right. 21 years. Right. Or whatever. But like building that resiliency back up and building that communication and the belief of your own self is going to what is going to be what is, is the most helpful when the person does arrive. And I keep hearing just like time, 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 time. Because I think that there's a time for you to heal. There's a time for you to build back up what you really desire. Because I see a lot of friends after divorce, like, they're so traumatized and so hurt that they go on, like, either a bender and, like, it's like men and dating and what are we going to do? And they want to just feel good and they want to feel full and they, and they've been so hurt or, or they do the opposite and they recluse and they don't know what to do and, and like stuff like that. And I just think that, like, as you are, like. I think that like building that resiliency and and th- if you're not careful and you jump into dating too soon, we have a lot of problems with like, I'm hearing like love bombing is like a new term that people are using a lot that maybe your, your resiliency or your tuition just isn't quite where it needs to be just yet. And that is the same, even with the length of time that you're dating somebody, right. I'm just hearing like time is really your gift. It totally is. And, and I feel like for me, a gift that I feel like that was given to me in that process is I look back at that 21 years and I can identify that my role personally and my role as a mother is a hundred percent authentic and true. Yep. And that me going to the temple once a month and yep. reading, teaching, and just being prayerful about the needs of my children. Look, I was never deprived of those answers. And yet it completely still right. my family. I didn't have any control over his agency that certainly had an impact, but I am a firm believer in time and even God's timing. And for whatever reason, the timing of when I was supposed to find out and my discovery was when it was, and I can do the what ifs all the time, but maybe even with Mark, you know, that the timing then for us to meet or whatever that is. And so we, we don't know that. And those are kind of those faith born things. We just have to kind of toss out in the atmosphere and say, God, like I have faith in God and and in his timing and what that looks like for me. But the love bombing thing is, it is absolutely huge. I didn't even know what that was heading in. And it, it when you're coming in deprived in every possible way, like where my ex-husband was not even physically attracted to me and that a male was wanting to hug me and it felt so good. And I was so embarrassed almost to tears and he's shorter than me and it was a terrible day and all the things, but it was just because 
I was just so deprived, you know? And so again, the time thing was a big thing. And so when I finally had my therapist point out that someone trying to dominate my time was not a good thing where it felt good to be wanted and someone want to give me multiple gifts where my, that was not my marriage, you know, and just anytime I was thinking about breaking up, it was just more gifts and, and giving more things and creating opportunities and pinning down experiences for the future of where we're going to go here and travel to this place. And, you know, kind of locking me in and feeling like I had to keep staying in it to commit or someone gave me something as if I owed him something and stepping back and realizing like, this is not right, but having the courage. And luckily I had a support system that helped me through that. And I feel like even it's okay to run a background check on someone. And if someone's going to have a hard time about that, then why do they have a hard time about that? And it's okay to check and see like the mutual friends that you have or ask people questions. And I remember a friend even did kind of a, a check up with mutual friends of someone that I was dating and came back with not great information. And I know I had to kind of step back and say, I know I have to figure things out for myself too. But at the same time, she was actually spot on. And it took a hurtful journey for me thinking I needed to learn, which I did have to learn on my own. But at the same time, if people want to challenge you in the dating process of getting to know things about them and why, when we're at this stage of the game, when you really do have to be pretty transparent and we understand that loving, especially again, is absolutely so vulnerable, then it, and the allowance for it should be accepted. And I would want people to know too, that when you're dating to not have people put forgiveness of their mismanagements on you that again when you've lived in a way that you have an expectation like even I'll just use something legally or like financially like say in a financial way that the way that I've managed my money or lived in a certain way that somebody else having to file for bankruptcy multiple times or losing businesses or the way that they do it and wanting you to forgive them and to be with them because they can be a better person, that it's okay to say, I believe that forgiveness is possible for everyone, but that doesn't mean that I have to accept that that person be my person in my life. And that can be variations on lots and lots of levels. And I see where people get caught in even this sexual addiction or pornography addiction, again, because they see like, well, I don't want to appear unforgiving and I believe in the atonement and I know that that works for people, but then putting themselves again into an unhealthy situation or a different unhealthy situation because they want to be Christ-like and forgiving or the pressure to be that. Does that make sense? It does. But I think also what I, if I've learned anything is that sometimes the most Christ-like thing to do is to walk away or to like have a boundary or to say like, this isn't going to work for me. And saying no to an unhealthy situation is loving sometimes and saying right. this isn't like, and I'm also going to allow them that growth because I'm not going to tolerate that behavior. Right. And if enough times someone says no, thank you to that behavior, then maybe they'll have a chance to look at themselves and re be reflective and then maybe change the behavior. Right. But I think, again, it goes back to like, listen to yourself because even if maybe you're off in that moment, like and not off. And maybe like, let's say a thing comes up in your body. And you're like, oh, 
I don't know about that. And so you like walk away and then you go analyze it. Was this my trauma? Was this my intuition? But like give yourself space and grace to figure that out. Right. And if I you love just that. say, hey, I need a minute. You're not shutting somebody off. You're just saying, hey, I need a minute to process this. And then you go process it. Either way, your body was telling you something, but then you get to go analyze what that is. And I can't also emphasize enough the importance of including the Savior in all of this process, because I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have the gospel knowledge that I have, if I didn't have my relationship with heaven, if I did not have these opportunities to, to see where God's hand is in my life. And so I think it's also very important to anytime you're going on these dates or whatever, it's okay to say, Hey, Heavenly Father, like, is this a good choice for me? Like, is this a good path to take? Let him be part of your support system. Let him be a part of that decision-making process. And because God knows me better. And he can certainly tell me like, Hey, Annie, love you, but this is a hard pass. Or he could say, here, you could learn from this because my favorite saying lately has been take the lesson, leave the boy. (laughs) Uh, Uh, because there's been some interesting humans come in and out of my life where can I grow what could I learn from that and he gives me that ultimate source of understanding where my growth can be and I like to talk about growth more like talk about repentance I mean I love the word repentance but I see repentance as a growth process for sure where can I grow where can I learn what could I do better next time so that I can be even closer to God and be more like the savior that having them as part of your support system is crucial. Yeah. Well, and even in the new young woman's theme, it talks about that with repentance, but it's aiming to be better every day, that it's not sin oriented. It's just the aiming to be the better version of who God wants us to be, which I do love. And I love that you brought up the making mistakes. I feel like that all the relationships that I had certainly helped make me who I am today, including my marriage of 21 years. And even in the dating process, just helping people remember that you are going to make mistakes. And I also love Annie, how you brought up boundaries, because I would say, in addition to creating your buckets and then the foundation of who you are, and then also being able to identify your red, yellow, and green flags was also boundaries. I never knew that you could even have boundaries in a marriage. I didn't even know that that was a thing, not even really in relationships. I think I naturally kind of set them in small places in my life, but it wasn't really necessary, but having an idea of entering into dating of what your boundaries are. And I love to, with my clients do what's called like the, what if game. And it's kind of the same thing, same idea of what we would do when we were teenagers. Our parents would be like, what do you do if you go to a party and there's alcohol, what are you going to do? And it's kind of having that same narrative within ourselves. Like, what do I do when I go on a date and he tries to kiss me? Okay. Just because I have to talk to myself almost as if I'm a teenager, like if it's my, you know, teenager at a dance, like just because you dance with someone doesn't mean you have to give them, go in the car home and make out with them, right? You can maybe exchange a phone number or what does this equal and what does this equal? And being able to set boundaries for yourself. What does a kiss really mean? Because you've been in a relationship with someone for 21 years that it's, you, you can kiss anytime. And now you're in dating again, where again, when it was your young teenager ever, there was kind of an understanding mutually what that meant. Now it's a whole new ballgame. How many dates do I want to go on? Under what circumstances does it look like? Do I want to be in an exclusive relationship with this person before I kiss them? Do I feel like I need to kiss someone first before I go in an exclusive relationship to see if I even like to kiss this person? Like there's so many 
potential boundaries that we can have. And some of those we may not know until we are dating that it's like, okay, that didn't happen the way I thought. Like I need to be better about knowing what I want before. Oh and- yeah. yeah. Because you might, you literally might, there's certain things that I found out not until I made that mistake. Right. The only way, that's not the only way. Sometimes that is like the best way to find out what you don't like. If something yep. happens, you're like, oh, JK, not, not a fan of that. Right. Uh-huh. And I love it. Have you heard of the book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk? By it's John Bonnet. But my boys would always laugh like, mom, these books you have, it's like, what are the names of them? Why are they so <laughs> weird? But I love it because it's a great pre-dating book because it really does help identify the difference between like the emotional parts of a relationship and the physical sexual side of the relationship and the analogy kind of of the inverted V that you keep the emotional and the physical at the same level. And again, because of the excitement and the attraction, and sometimes that that gets more heightened and we're more willing to give in spaces than we emotionally give because we're so protective of that. And if that feels so vulnerable and I don't want somebody to know that about me, But if we really try to equal out and work harder on the emotional part of the relationship, then the physical part as they fall, then it just become more equal and in sync versus if we give too much in one area, you can't ever really go back. And so then sometimes it eliminates the opportunity of us really getting to know someone because then that's becomes the focus of what the relationship is. And, and then that's kind of, you're spending the three months of it and you haven't even gotten to know how, you know, they like their eggs or what, you know, what orange juice do they drink? Do they drink soda? Do they like this? Some of the more simple, basic, like what do they do for work? And, you know, just simple things like that. Right. And I think you do learn so much about yourself in the process too. Like there's even like, just like male friends that I've spent time with that I'm not dating them and I'm won't be dating them, but I'm still learning so much from like characteristics or traits that they have that like, I'm like, oh, I really want that in a person. And when you said eggs, it reminded me of, it's a runaway bride when she's like, I don't know. I couldn't think of it, but that's what popped in my mind. I know that that's in a movie where it's like, do you even know how you like your eggs or they're trying to get to know each other? And they say like, we should know how we like each other's eggs. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. So I love that. So figuring out Ladies, I mean, there might be men listening too, but we typically have women on here. But if you're in that space or if you know someone in that space, lovingly encouraging them to like love themselves first, figure out how they like their eggs, how they want their life to look from here. And I think the perfect way to sum up today and to wrap up is just how has this whole process helped you come closer to the Savior? I feel like for me, when my whole life felt shattered. I really had to kind of take a step back and everything in that time was in question. My childhood, my current life, me being a mother, my identity even, and my relationship with God. And I feel like for me that when I had to go back to before I knew him about like college, you know, high school time, I started doing more soul searching and who is Marnie really? And the foundation of the person that I was and my mom, she died when I was 18 years old of ovarian cancer. And I gained a really strong testimony at that time of the atonement and understanding that it wasn't sin related. Kind of, we talked about repentance, but that, that really it was Christ knowing who I was and what I was going through. And I feel like that that ended up being 
a tender mercy experience that God had given me earlier in my life that then when later in my life, I was presented with a hardship. Certainly my mom's death was in my way of thinking like God's law, like it felt like God had abandoned me in ways and I had to work through that. But now I'm in a situation where it's someone else's agency is impacting my life in a way that I had not lived where I believed I should be divorced. And so uh, I had to implement those implement those same things about the atonement and knowing that God uh, knew who I was and that because of the atonement, Christ could sit with me in all the emotions that I was and uh, looking at my children and how I wanted to be a mom. And so to me, there is no doubt that God is absolutely aware of each of us. And I know that I've had to really submit and have had spiritual experiences with my own children in knowing that I, I am the perfect mom for my kids, not because I'm perfect, but because I'm the one that's supposed to be in their life right now. And that even when I'm deficient in providing opportunities for them or make mistakes, that God is still going to help them develop and become the person that he wants them to be through their life experience. And even though I never had a situation of being divorced, and so it's heartbreaking at times to think that that's my children and their life experience. I know that it's part of what they're supposed to become just as mine did with losing my mom at a young age. And so if I believe that for my kids, then I also have to believe that for myself. And I think sometimes that's the hardest thing is we believe a lot of things for a lot of, a lot of other people, but do we really believe it for ourselves? And so I know that God has always been there with me especially through the heart and carried me in times when I absolutely could not have done it alone. I love that. Thank you so much. So I have a website and my name is spelled M-A-R-N-I. And then my last name is B-O-W-N. So not to be confused with Brown, but if you go to MarnieBound.com on there, I have access to my Instagram that is public. My Facebook is public. It's more a blog of experiences, relatable situations, upcoming events of speaker events, or like when this podcast airs, I'll post that on there as well. But it's actually on the website is where I have my coaching and links to be able to uh, meet with me. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions for 50 minutes. I'm currently in uh, the University of You, which is the name of my group women's coaching session which I feel like is really advantageous for women to connect. I would like to do with a men's group as well, eventually. And that will end up being the platform of where I do a book club. We'll share a book and then meet and talk about that there as well as potential upcoming podcasts on my own talking about things. And yeah, that's my stories on there. Uh, I don't have pictures of my family, but there are some pictures on my Instagram and Facebook that have their kind of faces in them. There's a big, huge hug of some of the nine of us, but anyway, that's just about me. Very cool. Okay. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of your wisdom and friends. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here today. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a review and five-star rating. And come hang out with us and join our community at our new Instagram at notyourmamas.rs.